Well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Ray Stewart. I'm, I have the privilege of being the Connections Pastor here at Mount Calvary Church, and I'm really thankful each and every week uh, to God and to you for letting me serve in this capacity. I got to meet, we had three new families in, this, in the first service that I got to meet, uh, and I absolutely love serving in this way. And if you are a guest or visiting with us this morning, thank you for worshiping with us uh, and being here today. We're going to be continuing in our series this morning on uh, one, our one true king through the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 21. We'll get to the text in a few minutes. Uh, but for the last five or six weeks, we've been following the life of David. Uh, and Saul is the king of Israel, uh, but he hasn't been fully obedient to God. And so God has decided that he's going to remove the kingship from Saul, and he has chosen a new king. And he sends his prophet Samuel to the house of Jesse uh, to appoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king of Israel. And uh, David is the youngest of eight, and David is the one that is anointed. But it's an already not yet situation. He's already the rightful king, but he has not yet taken his place on the throne. And so over the last five or six weeks, we've seen this young man who's a lowly shepherd uh, who was so unimportant and uninteresting that when Samuel came to Jesse's house, Jesse didn't even call him in from the fields. Uh, the, this this uh, youngest son who wasn't even old enough to go to war with his brothers when King Saul called. But we've seen this young man demonstrate great faith as he fought and killed Goliath. He's shown us his faithfulness to Saul and his loyalty to Saul in fighting for him and serving him. And Pastor Matt rightly reminded us that, that we are not David, that David is special. And in, in the course of the Old Testament, Davis is, David is a foreshadowing of Jesus in the new. He's a foreshadowing of the Christ and the Savior and the Redeemer that we need. Jesus, who would come not to save us from giants, but to save us and forgive us from our sins, something that we are helpless and powerless to do. So in David slaying Goliath, David is a picture of the one true king to come. And yet today, we're going to see that David is just a man. He's prone to doubt and fear, just like you and I are and everyone here today. Doubt and fear and discouragement. To me, I'm afraid of heights. I've shared that in the past, and I have a pastor, senior pastor, that who is convinced to get me to go on tree canopy tours and climb mountains, and I'm scared of heights. Others, you may be afraid of spiders, like the ladies in my house. Uh, if there is a spider in the house, then I'm going to hear yelled in the house, Dad! And so this week, I got called to come and kill a scary spider. Can you see it? You can't see it, can you? Because it was that small. It has blown up like 10 times bigger than it's supposed to be. But one, one of the ladies in the house was standing three or four feet away outside the bathroom. She's, I walk in. I said, where is it? And she's like, it's on the counter. And I'm looking, and she has to point to it because I can't find it. And so I kill the spider. You may be afraid of spiders like the ladies in my house. You might be afraid of the dark uh, or flying or crowded spaces or lightning when I sat down to write out a list of things that I'm fearful of or scared of, I actually started to grow concerned because of how list, long the list was. Uh, so here, here are some. Uh, I'm afraid of embarrassing myself. 
I'm afraid of failure. Thank you, Jack. I appreciate you raising your hand back there. Uh, I'm afraid of not knowing what to say. I'm afraid of hurting someone with unwise or uncaring words. I'm afraid of not being useful or not being valued. I'm afraid of change. So let's just say that faith is not one of the spiritual gifts that I have in my life, that I, I'm a natural pessimist and I have to fight that constantly. But you know what? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And God looked at me, knew all of my weaknesses, all of my failings before I even was in my mother's womb, and he still chose to love me through his son, Jesus Christ. He still chose to offer me salvation, and in him I have a hope in eternity where I will no longer be afraid. I will no longer face discouragement or doubt. But you know what else? David being a man after God's own heart, the slayer of Goliath, the one whom songs were written about the 10,000s that he defeated in battle, who showed great faith in waiting for God to put him on the throne. He faced seasons of doubt and fear. And if you read through the Psalms, which we'll do a little bit uh, in our, uh, as we look at our passage today, David wrote 75 of the 150 Psalms that, we're, that we know of. And throughout those, you see David on an emotional roller coaster where he has amazing highs where he praises and glorifies God and then amazing lows where he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. This is David. And so today, as we look at 1 Samuel 21, we're going to think about and look to apply how do we respond to fears and doubt and how can we, what can we learn from David? Let's pray. And then we'll read our passage. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. I thank you that you, uh, you, you are omnipotent, that you have all power and all authority rests on you. God, I thank you that, that you love me despite my weaknesses and my failures. And Lord, in you, I have hope for a future where there will be no more fear. Lord, I pray today you be glorified in your word, encourage us and challenge us through your Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to read the first part of our passage, and then we'll get to the last verses in a little bit. So First uh, Samuel 21, verses 1 through 9. And then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a manner and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David. He says, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women... And David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. 
Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doag the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. And then David said to Ahimelech, Then have, have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. So this is an odd passage. It's a little weird. David's on the run from Saul. He's finally come to the conclusion that he cannot remain in the court. Saul's tried to kill him several times, and each time David's responded by trying to show Saul his loyalty and his faithfulness. And yet in 1 Samuel 20, we saw last week that Saul was determined to kill David, and so David is on the run for his life. And he's left in such haste with such a need for secrecy from his meeting with Jonathan in 1 Samuel 20 that he didn't bring any food or sword with him. And so he goes to Himelech, the priest in Nob, and asks for bread. He's on a mission, so he says, for the king, uh, and he left with such haste that he had no food. So the problem as he comes to Ahimelech is that Ahimelech doesn't have any ordinary or normal bread. The only bread that he has is the, is the holy bread or the show bread, the bread of the presence. And so you could look at Exodus 25, verses 23 through 30, uh, and Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. They talk more about the bread of the presence. But this bread represented God's presence among his people meeting face to face in the tabernacle. And so this bread was reserved for the Levitical priests. Only the descendants of Aaron were allowed to eat this bread. Leviticus 24, 9 says, And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's offerings, a perpetual due. See, David was not a Levite. He was not of the tribe of Aaron. He, he was of the tribe of Judah. He wasn't a priest. And so this bread was not intended for him. So as we read these first nine verses, there are two questions that if we're reading closely that we, we should ask. One is, did David lie about being on a mission for the king? Did David lie about being on a mission from the king? And was David wrong to eat the bread of the presence. Now, unfortunately, as we look at this, the text does not answer those questions. In narrative text uh, in, the, in the Bible, narrative text does not always tell us whether or judge the rightness or the wrongness of the actions that are recorded or captured. Right? So it doesn't always tell us this was good or this was bad. It often just records the events so when Abraham and Sarah were unable to have a child and Sarah gave her servant Hagar to Abraham as a wife, the text does not tell us that that was wrong. It just records the events. And so that's what's happening in 1 Samuel 21. Uh, the actions and events are recorded, but a judgment on those actions and events is not given to us. And so we have to look at the rest of Scripture. We have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Because we believe that the Bible is inspired, inerrant, and infallible. We know that 
being inspired. God's the ultimate author. He's worked out all the details from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, and he's connected those. It's inerrant. There is no error or contradiction in the original text or language, and it's infallible. It's completely trustworthy and effective. So as we come to a passage and we have questions like this, did David lie? Was he wrong to eat the bread of the presence? We have to make sure that we're not reading into the text our own cultural understanding or our own preconceptions. We have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So we have to look elsewhere for evidence. So there's two questions. The second one is actually the easier of the two to, to answer. It has a much clearer answer because Jesus gives us insight in Luke chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. In Luke chapter 6, uh, Jesus is walking with his disciples on the Sabbath day in the fields. And his, his disciples are hungry, and so they reach out and they pluck some grains out of the field to eat. And the Pharisees get upset with Jesus and say, your, your disciples are breaking the law because they're working on the Sabbath. They're harvesting on the Sabbath. And so this is what Jesus responded with. He said, he answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. One commentator said it this way, that Jesus was saying, David broke the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law that day. He says David was not wrong to take and eat the bread, and yet he did violate the technicality of the law. He wasn't stealing. He wasn't being lazy. He, he wasn't claiming to have a right to the bread. David was hungry. David was in need, and in his need, he turned to God who provides. Yahweh Yira, the Lord provides. Now, so Jesus is saying, yes, David was wrong, but no, he was not wrong to eat the bread. And so it's still not 100% clear. But let's look at the second. The second is using the same lens. The, the first question, did David lie? Did, did David lie? In verse 2, right, he says, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of this matter. And then verse 8 he says, for I have brought neither my sword nor weapons with me because the king's business required haste. So he's telling Ahimelech that the king sent me. Now, some scholars bend over backwards to say, David's not lying here. They say, David is telling the truth because Yahweh, God, is his king. And then as we read through the Psalms, David regularly refers to God as king. And so they say, in these, in these uh, exchange with Ahimelech, David is not lying because he's referring to God as king and not to Saul. I don't think that's necessarily unreasonable approach. I'm not sure that I agree with it, that David might be the picture of the coming Christ, but he is not Jesus Right? He is not perfect. He is not sinless. And so if he didn't lie, he's at least deceiving. Right? He's telling Ahimelech, the king sent me. He knows that Ahimelech is going to interpret that as Saul sent me. So even if David is not lying, 
He is deceiving. He may have, he may have a right spirit or right uh, heart towards it because he, he's concerned about Ahimelech getting in trouble. Right? He knows that if it's found out that Ahimelech is helping him, then Saul is likely to kill him. And so if he can give plausible deniability to, to Ahimelech to say Ahimelech didn't know, then maybe Ahimelech will be spared. So maybe he broke the letter of the law, but not the spirit. I don't know. This is a hard one. Can we lie if someone else's life is in danger? You know, I think about World War II and was it a sin to lie about hiding Jews in your house when the Nazis came and knocked at your door? In one respect, you're valuing life and protecting life, which God has said. And in the other, maybe you're not having faith that God will do something to protect you. So if someone's life is in danger, would I lie to protect them? That's basically what David is doing here. And there are times, what, what's, what <clears throat> David will not know until later is in 1 Samuel 22, <clears throat> excuse me, when Saul does come to Nob because he hears that David is there, finds out what Ahimelech did, did Ahimelech, his house, and every priest in Nob, except for one that escapes, is killed. And so David's attempt to spare their lives was fruitless. There are times in life when we're presented with tough choices. Sometimes the choices are between two good things, that there's no clear, apparent leading of God to say what we should do. Sometimes there are two bad choices where neither is good, but we have no option but to choose. Should you take a new job after or offer or stay in your current job? Should you go to a private Christian college or a more affordable public state college? Should you ask the girl or guy that you're dating to marry you? Should you move to Pennsylvania or stay in Kentucky? Would you stop and help someone who had a flat tire on your way to church and be late to church? Or would you pass by and make it to church on time? Should you lie to save someone's life or tell the truth and be punished alongside them? Should you root for the Eagles or the Steelers? Sometimes there's not a good choice. Sometimes the choice we face, choices we face in life have no clear and absolute answer. And if we've prayed, <clears throat> excuse me, if we've prayed and asked God to give us wisdom, who is faithful to answer and grant, if we've prayed to God and said, God, let your will be done, not mine, if we're seeking to be fully obedient to the word of God, especially when we don't like what it says, and then you're still confronted with an uncertain path forward and waiting isn't an option because waiting is often a very good option. Then we move forward with the heart to glorify God. Sometimes you face uncertainties and decisions and you won't know the right answer. And yet you move forward saying, God, I want you to be glorified in this. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, not because 1 Corinthians 10 is all about food uh, and eating food, but because he's trying, Paul is trying to address the early church and saying, can you eat food that is sacrificed to idols? And I think verse 31 is applicable to everything we do in life. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God.
Now, we want to make this clear. The Bible has lots of black and white and clear guidance in life. There, there are a lot of moral issues that are clearly dictated to us in Scripture about what our beliefs and theological stances should be. And where the Bible is clear, our position and theology must be equally clear. That's part of Jesus being the king of our lives rather than us being our own kings or queens is we say, God, not my will, but yours. And so I submit myself to him and his rule. But sometimes choices aren't clear moral issue, or aren't a clear moral issue or are conflicting moral issues. And in those situations, in whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That's your first application for today. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Now that brings us to the second half of the passage, verses 10 to 15, which are even weirder uh, or uh, more odd. So let's read these verses. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands. It made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. And then Achish said to his servants, Behold, You see, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Now, men, I know that we might joke about food getting stuck in our beards, and we say that's a good thing. But I can tell you the women in your life says it's not. Right, And so the spittle in David's beard is not attractive. <laughs> it is not something that we should, uh, we, we should emulate. But David is fleeing Saul. He's time for David to leave the country, and he goes to the land of the Philistines. He goes to the land of the Philistines, who he's been at war with for years. Goliath was their champion, and he killed them. But it's not enough that he went to the Philistines and their country, he went to Gath. He went to Gath, which was Goliath's hometown, carrying Goliath's sword. What did he think was going to happen when he strolled in the gates? They were going to welcome him and say, oh, so glad you're on our side. No, they're like, let's string him up and kill him. And so they grabbed him and they, uh, they tried to restrain him. We all know this feeling as parents that our kids regularly do things that make a scratch in our head and say, what did you think was going to happen? The reality is most of the time they're not thinking, and David is not thinking in this situation either. So in verse 12, he realizes he's in trouble, and he was much afraid of King Achish in verse 12. And so in verse 13, he pretends to be insane and crazy. Where is the man that defeated Goliath when no one else would challenge him? 
Where is the man who killed his ten thousands? Or the man when Saul said, if you want to marry my daughter, Macau, you must bring me a hundred foreskins from the Philistines. And instead of a hundred, David brings two hundred. The truth is, we all have valley, or mountaintop experiences where God accomplishes a great thing or victory in our lives. And we all have valley experiences It's not uncommon to have that great victory, spiritual victory in our lives, to be followed by significant discouragement or even failure. Elijah, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 18, faced 850 prophets on Mount Carmel to see whose God could burn up the offering before the other. We know that God burns up the offering while the 850 prophets that he faced uh, could do nothing to wake their God. It's a great victory for Elijah, great victory where God's power and immense uh, sovereignty over everything came to play. But just four verses later, in 1 Kings 19.4, after this victory, after God has shown his power, Elijah asked God, he says, it is enough, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. A great victory followed by significant discouragement. And David is no different. David is no different. He has his mountaintop experiences and his valley experiences, and this is his valley. Commentator Warren Wiersbe says this is the moment that fear replaced faith And because David wrote so many of the Psalms, we can connect them to the events in his life. And those events can be weird, or these events are weird in chapter 21, are weird and out of place for what we commonly expect of David. But when we read his Psalms, we see him on the mountaintop praising God for how amazing and great God is. And we see him walking through the valley of the shadow of death. In this case, uh, Psalm 56 talks about David crying out for help uh, from in verse 12. And in Psalm 34, David praises God for his deliverance and salvation from Achish and the Philistines. And so these are our second points of application today. Is one, or so we're to glorify God in all that we do. We're to cry out to God when you are afraid and praise God when he is faithful. Let's look at these psalms. Again, we let inter- Scripture interpret Scripture and where these are connected. And so let's look at these psalms for, to help better understand what David was experiencing in verse 12. Psalm 56, verses 1 through 6. It says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife and they lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. Songs uh, easily express emotion today. So when we sing, whether it's we listening to the radio or we're, uh, or or Spotify or Pandora or we're singing here in church, songs convey emotions. And so as we read the Psalms, 
The Psalms are poems and songs. And so we should expect not dry theological texts, but deep, heartfelt, emotional expressions of weakness and yet confidence in the Lord. So when we talk about Jesus being our one true king, right? We talk about Jesus being our one true king. He's not the micromanaging king that tries to manage every or control every aspect of everything that we do. He's not the unengaged king who ignores you. He is the wise and caring shepherd who's always there when you call, who's promised to never forsake you or never forget you and promise to keep you and protect you. And so David, in his fear, cries out to God who is faithful to hear. And so we should cry out to God when we face discouragement or fear or doubt. It's not a surprise to God. God knows it already. You're just telling him what he already knows so that he can respond to you. Now let's read uh, Psalm 34, verses 4 through 6, and then 17 through 22. And this is David uh, responding after, after God has rescued him. Uh, he is responding with praise. Verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And when the righteous cry for help, verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. And the Lord redeems the life of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. David is the image of Jesus who is to come, the perfect sinless son of God who takes away the sins of the world. But in chapter 21, at the very least, David is also the image of you and me. He's not perfect. He's a sinner. He struggles with doubt and fear, and yet he offers us the picture we all need to see of an individual crying out to God for rescue, for salvation, and God being faithful to answer. And today, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, if you've never cried out to God, admitting that you are a sinner, knowing that you are helpless to do anything to make things right, we want to invite you to cry out to God right now. It doesn't take special words. It doesn't take you bowing your head. Just tell him you're ready to make him the king of your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and to help you live for him. And if that's you today, I'd encourage you to come and find one of the staff members. Come find me, Pastor Matt, Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Joe, uh, Ryan, any of the elders. We'd love to talk to you and encourage you. So today, when you're faced with situations that you don't know the right answer, make it your heart's desire to glorify God in all you do. Trust that and then when you are afraid or doubting or discouraged, cry out to God. Cry out to God and then praise him when he's faithful. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. I thank you that you are the God who saves. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you are faithful in all things, that, that you, uh, you care for us and walk through us through each trial and each difficulty. And God, today, Lord, help us to see you in all of your excellent greatness, to see that you accept us and yet will not leave us exactly how we were, but change us. God, we thank you that when we face fear and doubt and discouragement, that we can run to you. Be glorified in all that we do. It's in your name.